always be kind, always be thoughtful. If you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. You're a guest in this house, you'll keep your <clears throat> bathroom and bedroom clean. Nothing you do or don't do could ever change my love for you. Wait, what was the first one? Always be kind, always be thoughtful. Nothing you do or don't do could ever change my love for you. No matter what, they are family. If you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. If you can't say something good about them, don't say anything at all. You're a guest in this house. You will keep your bathroom and bedroom clean. No matter what, they're our family. If you can't say something good about them, then don't say anything at all. You ever said anything like any of those, huh? Um, one of the sayings we looked at last Sunday made such an impression that Scott McGuire, our orchestra director, earlier this morning sent me a cartoon. Let's see what you think. <laughs> For those who weren't here last week, one of the sayings was, be sure to wear clean underwear in case you're in an accident. And I'm still trying to figure out why parents say that, but uh, uh, got a kick out of it in, anyway. And you know, and th these sayings that we're going to look at today, the ones you saw in the video, all point to the importance of knowing how to treat people so you can have good relationships, right? Because relationships can be challenging. Family sometimes can be messy. We have a little girl, four-year-old girl in our weekday ministry here at First Baptist, our Sunbeams uh, Day School, and um, being raised by her great-grandparents because her mom's been in and out of her life due to drugs and so on. Recently, mom was arrested because of meth and cocaine, and she uh, made a complaint when she was arrested saying that the, the great-grandparents had been abusing the little girl, and so anytime there's a complaint, it has to be investigated. And so the caseworker was speaking to this little girl and asked her, she asked her, what makes her feel safe? This little girl said, God. In fact, she said, God makes me feel safe because he's always with us and sees everything we're doing. Caseworker looked at the great-grandmother and said she did not expect that answer from a little four-year-old girl. And then later the great-grandmother was telling Holly, our preschool minister here that uh, that uh, that's the reason they wanted her in our ministry in our program here at First Baptist. Aren't you thankful that God is teaching young kids stuff like that? Aren't you thankful for that? Yeah. But it, it points to how challenging life can be. That families are not perfect. Some of them really struggle. Some individuals and families struggle. Life can be messy. It can be challenging and and uh, if, if we're going to have relationships that work, whether it's at you know school or where, you, where, where your job is or in the family, if you're going to have relationships that work, it takes effort, it takes intentionality, it doesn't always come easily, it doesn't come naturally, we're going to work at it. And, and how we talk to each other matters, how we treat each other matters. And the sayings that parents often say to their kids were focused on this morning all Talk about that. So just, just think for a moment about these sayings you heard in the video. Always be nice. Always be thoughtful. 
You can't say something nice or something good about somebody. What? Don't say anything at all. Just be quiet. You are not a guest in this house. In other words, you live here. You're part of this family. You are not a guest. I'm not your maid. So keep your room clean. Keep your bathroom clean. Keep your toys where they go. Do your part, right? Then my favorite this morning, no matter what, their family. Because we all have that crazy uncle, don't we? We all, we all have that person with, oh, there he goes again. Just, but he's family, you know, so we're, you know, we're going to listen. We're going to love. He's, she's, oh, okay, yeah, that's Aunt Susie, but she's family. And then parents a lot of times will say to their kids, especially when they're young, there is nothing you could ever do that would cause me to stop loving you or change how I feel about you. And normally when we say things like this, except for maybe the last one or the one about cleaning your room, we're, we're talking to our kids about how they treat people in general, right? But I think all of these sayings have wisdom that apply to the family. So this morning I want us to direct each of these sayings toward the home, toward our family relationships, because what we're really saying is, hey, we need to treat each other the right way in the home. We need to talk to each other the right way at home. We, we need to be dependable. We need to do our part in the home. We, we need to understand that there's just going to be some things we kind of have to put up with and we're going to have to work at it and sometimes go the extra mile to have relationships that last and work in the family. Isn't that true? And uh, no matter what, I'm going to love you. I may not like everything you do, but I am going to love you no matter what. And I got news for you. That's what Jesus wants for you and your family. And I got to thinking this week about Jesus' family because the Gospels tell us that not only did Jesus have his mother Mary and his adoptive father Joseph, Jesus had four brothers. He also had several sisters. We're not told how many or what their names are, but he had more than one sister. So here's Jesus. He's part of a nuclear family, if you will. And it was not a perfect family. They dealt with stuff. And you and I can learn about being in relationship with each other in the home by looking for a few moments at Jesus' family. Just think about his parents for a moment, okay? Mary, his birth mother, and Joseph, his adoptive father, because God the Father is Jesus' real father, so Joseph is his adopted father. Now, when the story begins in the Gospels, they are engaged. Very different than today. Because engagement in Jesus' day was a legal arrangement similar to marriage. You were legally bound to each other. You enjoyed all the rights of being married, except you did not live together and you were not intimate. That would come after the wedding. And the only way you could end a, a, an engagement in Jesus' time was through a legal divorce. So it was a big deal to be engaged. So Mary and Joseph, they're teenagers. They are legally bound to each other through engagement. And suddenly she's pregnant. Joseph knows it's none his. You can imagine his reaction. So he's planning to end the engagement by divorcing her. He's trying to be kind, but he's going to divorce her before God intervenes and tells him what's going on. And so Joseph says, okay, I'm going to obey God. I'm going to go through with the engagement. I'm going to marry her. Can you imagine what his family thought? 
Hmm? I mean, our parents, how would you think? Your son comes home and says, I'm going to marry you anyway. It's not my child. What are some thoughts you would have, feelings you would have? Joseph's family had those emotions, those feelings. And, and, and we know we know from Scripture as well as extra-biblical writings that the pregnancy of Mary and the birth of Jesus were, were, were a scandal. So here's this young couple starting out with all this pressure. Some of you have started your journey together with a lot of pressure. That's how Jesus' parents started out. But guess what? They, they made it work. They, they stayed together. And in fact, they had more children. If you have your Bible, turn with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 6. And um, there's one verse I want us to look at because it's talking about how people responded to Jesus. But in that verse, we learn about his family. Mark chapter 6, look with me at verse 3. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? Jesus' father, Joseph, as we know, was a carpenter. So apparently he trained Jesus when he was growing up in that same skill to be a carpenter. Joseph is not mentioned here, so apparently he died. This is in the early days of Jesus' ministry. He's about 30 years old. So sometime between the time Jesus was 12 years old and 30 years old, his adopted father, Joseph, passed away. So his family has dealt with the loss by death of the husband, of the father, the provider of the family. So they dealt with some crisis and some grief, right? And so in this verse, there's Mary, his, his mother, and notice this, and Jesus' brothers, his brother uh, James and uh, Hoses, or in another passage, he's referred to as Joseph. Judas, in another passage, referred to as Jude. And Simon and uh, his sisters, his sisters. So it's plural he had more than one. We're not told how many or what their names. So Jesus had his mother, he had his four brothers, and he had multiple sisters. So Jesus was a part of a family. And the truth is, his family struggled to understand him. You ever had anybody struggle to understand you? Huh? They didn't get him. They, they really struggled to, to understand Jesus and his ministry and what he was doing. So in Mark's gospel, if you back up a couple of pages to chapter 3, Jesus is in the early days of his public ministry. And in Mark 3 at verse 21, when, he, when his own people, down the Greek language, it's referring to his immediate family. So when Jesus' own people, his immediate family, his kinsmen heard of this, all that Jesus had been doing and teaching, they went out to take custody of him they were going to grab him and physically take him from where he was and bring him back home. For they were saying, he has lost his senses. And then when you drop down to verse 31, Jesus is teaching and his family is traveling to where he is. And in verse 31, they show up and it says in verse 31, his mother and his brothers arrived standing outside. They sent word to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around Jesus, and they said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. So here's Jesus' family, his mother and his brothers, and they think he's nuts. They don't understand what he's doing. They don't understand his ministry. They don't get him. They're not supportive. Have you had any 
anybody that's a part of your family not get you? Why you want to maybe pursue the, the career path that you've chosen? Why you have the interest and the passions that you have? Why you dress the way you dress? On and on we could go. Because so so often as parents, we, we're, we're trying to force our children to conform to some image we have. We don't get them. You ever had somebody close to you not understand why you wanted to live for Jesus and love Jesus and be different and be and maybe be more godly and more dedicated than your own parents? You ever had anybody not understand why you wanted to, to go the direction you were choosing to go in life? Well, Jesus, he experienced that with his own with his own family. In John chapter 7, verse 5, we're told very clearly that Jesus' brothers were not believing in him. So does this sound like a perfect family to you? You know what it sounds like? A family. Where sometimes we don't get each other. Sometimes there are differences. Sometimes we don't agree. Sometimes we think somebody's off their rocker. Sounds like a family, doesn't it? Now, here's the thing about Jesus' brothers. Even though they did not support him, they did not totally abandon him. Now you come to the cross. Jesus is nailed to the cross. He's dying. His mother Mary is there. Some other followers are there. But guess what? None of the disciples are there. And none of Jesus' brothers or sisters are there. They are nowhere to be seen. In the most difficult moment of Jesus' life, his brothers and his sisters did not show up. If you have your Bible, look in John's Gospel at chapter 19. Jesus on the cross sees his mom, and he's concerned about her, cares about her. He wants to make certain she's taken care of because... Remember, she's a widow. Joseph, her husband, has died. Chapter 19, verse 26, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby. Who is the disciple Jesus loved, church? Who is it? It's John. John, one of the 12 disciples who wrote the Gospel of John, the books of 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Revelation in your New Testament. So it's this John. And he said to his mother, so Jesus speaks to Mary and says at the end of verse 26, Woman, behold your son. And then in verse 27, Jesus says to John, to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple, John, took her, took Mary into his own household. He looked after her the rest of her life. Monisa and I were talking about this yesterday. She said she was always curious why Jesus didn't ask one of his brothers to take care of his mom. They were no-shows. They weren't there. They still were not believing in him. But he knew he could depend on John. So he asked John to care for his mom. 
So here's this family. Now, does the family of Jesus sound like a perfect family? No. It sounds like a family with all the challenges, all the problems, all the struggles, all the... It just sounds like a family, right? Following Jesus' resurrection and ascension back to the Father in heaven, everything changed. Look in the first chapter of Acts, the book of Acts chapter 1, because we, we learn that you know Jesus was crucified, then three days later he, he rose from the dead, spent 40 days with his followers, then he arose, he, he, he ascended to heaven, went back to the Father, and his followers go back into Jerusalem to a large room, and they're hanging out together, praying and supporting one another, waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 13, when they entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were, where they were staying. And here's who was there. These are his disciples, Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, etc., now look at verse 14. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer. So they were united. They were in harmony. They were getting along. They were together. At the end of verse 14, it was not just those followers along with the women. Jesus had women disciples, women followers. And notice this, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his what? His brothers. So now, guess what? His brothers are believers. We don't learn anything about the sisters. We don't know. I assume they became believers, but we don't know. But now Mary and his brothers, his brothers are believers, and they are there with the disciples, with the early church, with the followers of Christ, and they're in agreement. They're in unity. They're praying together. They're all on the same page. So what does all this tell us? It tells us that Jesus' family was a family with all the struggles, but guess what? They made it work. One of his brothers was named James. Remember that from Mark chapter 6? Not James, one of the 12 disciples. The James who was a disciple became the early leader of the church in Jerusalem and King Herod had him beheaded. After James the disciple was martyred, James, the brother of Jesus over in Acts 15 and other places and then also in Galatians, he became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. That's quite a change, isn't it? He also wrote in your New Testament the book of James. He also in Mark 6 had a brother named Judas or in another gospel he's referred to as Jude who became a believer and would later write a book that is also in your New Testament called the book of Jude. So here's this family, like many families, that experienced grief, the loss of their dad, Joseph, that, that sometimes did not understand each other. There were, there were differences of opinion, and sometimes there was conflicts, and they even thought Jesus was going nuts at one point. They had all of these issues, and at times it was messy, but, but, but in the end, they were together. They worked it out. They eventually got on the same page. They endured. They lasted. They prospered. They turned it around. And that is exactly what Jesus wants for you. 
It's also what this church wants for you. You look on the wall over there, the reason we exist is to love God, love people, and make disciples. And out of that purpose for the next three years as part of Vision 21, we have three priorities. One of those is to, to engage lostness in our community in this world, to grow disciples of Jesus who are able to spiritually feed themselves, and, and then third, to strengthen families. And so the paragraph in Vision 21 about strengthening families talks about families, uh, strong families having a positive impact on our local community. Families have an impact on the church. Families have a positive impact on the kingdom of God. Isn't that true? We, we, we talk about the home being a place for evangelism and discipleship and that as a church family we need to do all we can to promote and help marriages to grow and prosper. Help parents disciple their children. By the way, recent days I, I started reading this book called Total Family Makeover and uh, I wish I could just stop and preach another whole sermon uh, from this book because... She makes a point I had never thought about before that is so true. That our job as parents is not to control the behavior of our children while they're children. Our job as parents is to teach and train them so that when they're adults they know what to do. Because too often we get our sense of am I a good parent or a bad parent by what our kids do when they're kids, when they're learning. And if, you, if that's your approach, you're going to be like a roller coaster in how you feel about yourself because one day your kid's going to make you feel great and another day your, your kid's going to make you feel like a failure. That's not your job. And, 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 and she brings that out so well and talks about eight things to teach your kids so that when they're adults, they know how to be a disciple for Jesus Christ. By the way, this book is available today in our home first room if you'd like to purchase a copy. If we run out, we'll get more copies. So check it out after the service. We believe that families need to be together, to, to worship together, learn together, serve together, have fun together. This, this modern approach of putting everybody in silos so that we, we never do anything together as a family is detrimental to the development of family and spiritual life. How can we learn to be a family spiritually if we never do anything spiritually together? That's just not how life works. When, when you saw, if you were here a couple of weeks ago when we had those three dads in the baptistry baptizing their kids, that's intentional because we believe dads should do that if they're following Jesus. And so that, that, those things are important to us as a church. But guess what? I've learned that's what families want. That's what parents want. You want the same thing for your family. We want for your family that Jesus wants for your family. So let's look at these sayings again. Because these sayings are just, you know, practical things that we parents try to teach our kids. But you know what? They're practical things that, that uh, really are our way of expressing what Jesus has already said. 
And so the first saying, always be kind, always be thoughtful. What are we telling our kids when we say that? Huh? Treat people right. Isn't that what we're saying? Just treat people well. Treat people the right way. Should that not start in the home? Hmm? So often we put our best face on, our best behavior when we're at work. We suck it up and out in public, man, we treat treat people a certain way. And then we get home and we just let it all go. Treating people right should start at home. Building each other up instead of tearing each other down. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, said, In everything, in everything, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. Shouldn't that, should that not include how husbands treat wives and wives treat husbands and parents treat kids and kids treat parents, that we treat them the way we want them to treat us? So when we, we say always be kind to people, be thoughtful and considerate and be nice, let's start that in the home. Here's the second saying. If you can't say something nice or something good about somebody, just bite your lip. How many of you have ever, with a co-worker or your boss, bit your lip? Hmm? But with your wife, your husband, your kids, just let her fly. Just let her rip. Jesus, in Matthew 12, said that every careless word we speak, we will give an accounting for it on the judgment day. How we talk to each other matters, and that should start in the home, right? How many of you have a smartphone? Wave your hand or your phone. You have a smartphone? You know, uh, preteens and teenagers, almost 90% of them have one nowadays as well. And a growing issue in our culture is, is what's referred to as cyber, cyberbullying. They, they tell us that about 40% of teenagers and preteens have already experienced cyberbullying in some way on some social media platform, and quite often it's anonymous because you can post things on social media without your name, and so people say things on those platforms they would never say to another person's face, and sometimes it gets really cruel. Now, here's the problem. Parents, we have a responsibility to help our children uh, know how to be in right relationships on social media. But many of us don't know anything about it. And most kids who are bullied never say anything to their parents about it. And let me ask you, parents, if, if you discovered that your child was being bullied on social media, would you know the best way and the worst way to respond? Earlier this week, I was listening to a, a five-minute podcast. It was just a five-minute podcast about cyberbullying. I learned a lot that I didn't know. 
I did learn what's the best way for parents to respond. I also learned what the worst way for parents to respond is. And I'm not going to tell you. I want you to listen to 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 the podcast. And it's available to you at no cost because when you give your offering here, we provide ministries to help families. And one of the ministries we provide at no cost to you is Screen Smarts, which is a ministry that Brian Hausman has created where you sign up for it on your own at your own schedule. And every Monday you receive an email and it takes five minutes to either watch a video, listen to a podcast, or read a blog post, an article. I'm about halfway through the year because you get an email every week for a year. So it's a year-long class that you get in five-minute increments weekly. The one from two weeks ago for me was about cyber bullying. So if you'll go to the lobby, turn right to the home first room, all the information you need to sign up for Screen Smarts is available. How many of you are already receiving the Screen Smarts email? Wave at me. Let me see. Hands up high. High. Few of you. Every parent in here should be subscribing to that. It is free, five minutes a week. And don't if you've got young kids, young kids who don't have these things yet, don't have phones yet, don't give them one until you go through this class. You will thank me if you listen to me and do it. To help you. That's what that's what we're about. But that's isn't that exactly Exactly what you want. By the way, Brian Hausman, he's going to be here at First Baptist next April. We've already got him scheduled to come in and do some work with us for a week next April. Well, let's, let's go to the next next saying. Yeah, I like this one. You're not a guest in this house. You know, you live here. Keep your room clean. Put your toys up. Do you know that secular research tells us that if parents do not give their children chores, you actually hinder your develop the development of your child. That responsibilities and duties and chores helps your child become a responsible adult. That's not just me. That, that's secular research. Isn't it interesting how research just keeps finding out that God knew what he was talking about the whole time? We need to be dependable and responsible. In fact, Jesus, and we, we learn in the Gospel of Luke that when Jesus was 12 years old and his family visited Jerusalem after they went back home to Nazareth, the Bible says that Jesus continued in subjection to his parents. Kids, kids, not only do you have privileges, you have a duty. You have a responsibility under God to do your part in the home. And the truth is, if you don't learn how to obey your parents, you're not going to succeed very well in life getting along with other leaders either. Just a word to the wise. All right? Next saying. No matter what, he's family. Sometimes it's not easy, but they're family. Nothing you do will cause me to stop loving you. You may not like it, but I'm going to love you no matter what. Work at it. Sometimes you have to go the extra mile to make it work. True? Do you know what Jesus said in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus said, you're bringing your offering to the altar. And when you get there, you remember that your brother has something against you. 
leave your offering at the altar, go your way, and first be reconciled to your brother. Then come and present your offering. Jesus is saying just as your spiritual life and your religious life matter, and they do, your relationships with other people also matter. And sometimes you've got to go the extra mile. Sometimes you've got to work at forgiving. You've got to work at dealing with relationships to make them last. Do your part. Do what you can. Go that extra mile. Uh, Frank, Frank is a 54-year-old father who lives in San Diego, California. The photograph on the left is from years ago when he's a young dad and you see his son seated beside him there on the couch. The photograph to the left is recent. He's now in his 50s. He's outside in his in his yard and the flowers and stuff. His little boy is now a grown man living in Denver, Colorado. Frank's son is homeless. He's a drug addict. Now nobody, when he's sitting beside his little boy, thinks his little boy is going to grow up to be that, right? You love that little boy, you pour your life into that little boy, but he becomes a man, he's addicted to drugs, he's living on the streets. And Frank and his wife, they've tried and they've tried and they've tried and they've tried and they've tried. And one day Frank is sitting out in the yard and he gets an idea. He goes in the house and he tells his wife the idea. He's going to fly to Denver. So he packs a backpack. That's all real light, just a backpack. He flies to Denver. He finds his son in a public park, homeless. And for the next week, Frank lived on the streets with his son. He sat beside his son as he watched him shoot drugs into his vein. rode on the public transportation. He walked with them in the evenings for hours until they found a place where they could lay down and maybe sleep for two or three hours. He ate peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for lunch every day in the park because there was a church there passing out sandwiches to the homeless. And as the week passed and his beard grew and his body began to smell and he looked disheveled and People started looking at him the same way they looked at his homeless son. I'd love to tell you this story had a happy ending, but it doesn't. At the end of the week, Frank still had a wife. Couldn't stay there forever. So he goes back home to his wife. His son stays on the street doing drugs, homeless, until he's arrested and put in jail. But Frank said, I was determined to do this because I wanted my son to know we still loved him. And while he didn't rescue his son, he did succeed in showing his son love, didn't he? He went the extra mile.
Are you? How are you treating each other in your family? When your kids and grandkids watch how you treat each other, how you talk to each other, what are they learning? What's one thing, one thing you can do differently? What's one thing you can change? Is there somebody in your family you need to go to today and whether it's face-to-face or on the telephone and apologize? Is there a member of your family that uh, you need to forgive because you're holding on to some real bitterness? And the way you treat them comes out of that bitterness and you need to forgive, you need to let go of it. What's the extra mile, the extra step you need to travel today? See, we have all these nice sayings and they sound good and they're true, but they need to start at home. And listen, none of us have a perfect family. Maybe some of us are further down the road and, you know, working things out than others, but we all are still on journey, right? And guess what? You'll always be on journey because there'll be in-laws added and grandkids and great-grandkids and your family's dynamic and it's changing and there'll be other deaths and, 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 and challenges. It's, it's dynamic. So we're always on journey. But the thing is, while we're on journey, let's do it right. Because it's worth it. Isn't it? It's so worth it. And from, from the oldest in this room to the youngest in this room, we all, each and every one of us, have a part to play. We all, each and every one of us, have responsibility in all of this. So, what's your step? What's your one thing? Let's stand. As the team leads us in singing this song, I'm inviting you to settle in your heart and mind your one thing, your one step, your extra mile to come and pray here at the altar about it, to reach out and grab your spouse's hand, to determine that you're going to go home and do something about it today, that you'll go to the first home room and get the book or the information about Screen Smarts or what we talked about previously, Right Now Media and the other resources in there. Take a step because continuing where you are will only get what you have. Take a step in your journey. Take a step. It's amazing how one step can change so much. So let's sing together. Pastors are here. Come and pray. Come and talk with them. You're invited to join First Baptist Church or to give your life to Christ. Let's respond to the Holy Spirit right now as we sing together.